to have him. You know him well, Dr. David Birdsell, the fine provost, Kane University. Nice enough to give us a couple of minutes. Holiday time in New York City, my friend. How has it changed over last year? It's got to be something great, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, you you cannot believe the crowds, Jay. Uh, it is sometimes hard even to get up the street. There's just so many people on the sidewalks. Roads are crowded. Stores are packed. Uh, it's Christmas like it used to be and maybe a little bit more. Man, I tell you, I can only imagine. Let's get into a couple of things. Kind of a potpourri, my friend. Uh, you know, a couple of minutes ago, just talking about the George Santos stuff. Um, you know, as far as, I mean, these are serious Serious uh, allegations as far as uh, maybe all that is on the resume of the congressman-elect uh, may not be true. I mean, again, you got to wait and see. It's the New York Times. You always got it, you know, a grain of salt. I get it. But what if true? What happens then, in your estimation, if, uh, if uh, some of this truff stuff is not true regarding disclosures from an educational standpoint, financial work? Where do we go from here? Well, there are a number of things we have to see, and I need a disclosure up at the top. That one of the things that he has alleged is that he has a degree from my former employer, Baruch College, uh, and Baruch is not able to find a record of uh, graduation for anybody with a name like his or resembling his uh, during the period of time that he said that he was uh, uh, a graduate of the institution. So just get that on the table first. Uh, yeah. Right now, what has been disclosed, uh, if it proves to be true, uh, is not a criminal offense. It's not that he has lied under oath, as far as we know so far. Uh, it could be that he has made false representations to financial institutions or something else. Again, I'm just speculating, but we haven't seen that yet. Uh, so there's nothing that would require his removal from office, but he could be brought up in front of the House Ethics Committee uh, and uh cross-examined about whether he might have made false representations in the context of campaign fundraising uh, appeals and other kinds of things. Uh, but, of course, it dramatically, if true, undercuts his credibility and his effectiveness as a legislator and may well require, if he uh, has a sense of decency, a resignation uh, in order to uh, allow people to vote again on a candidate who could actually earn their trust. Whether and, he can you know, get that back, scary- I think. Yeah, I, I guess the scary part of it is, I mean, especially from an educational standpoint, uh, if you can't get a confirmation of uh, of either that of uh, NYU or Baruch as far as attendance, I mean, that's when you know things are going to go awry here. I mean, a very simple uh, affirmation of attendance uh, is is not a you know is is not a long term effect, so to speak, as far as uh, research is concerned. Uh, I've been a part of so many of these things at every university that I've been with. The registrars are extremely careful to make sure that they have given anybody who makes a public claim every consideration. They look at every form of the name. Uh, Of course, for people who get married and change their names, that becomes something of a challenge sometimes. But uh, registrars always rise to the occasion. So, yes, this is a very simple yes, no, and he seems to have failed that test out of the gate. Unbelievable. We will wait and see. And we certainly saw yesterday... Uh, from uh, Merrick Garland, David Birdsell, regarding January 6th 
And uh, all that's said and done as far as the former president of the United States, you know, kind of as expected, the announcement coming into play, the back-and-forth deliberations uh, that uh, took place, the four criminal charges uh, in play. But, you know, they laid out the case regarding involvement in the efforts to overturn 2020, make him responsible for the violence that unfolded at the uh, U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. Of course, uh, to me, it's all about unfit to hold any type of future office. You know, in my estimation, this is the, the M.O. as far as zeroing in and making sure that Trump doesn't run in 2024. Nonetheless, uh, some serious stuff coming from the A.G. Uh, some very serious stuff in several jurisdictions, uh, well beyond what uh, the, the referral for prosecution that the committee offered yesterday. The committee's referral has, of course, no legal weight. The Justice Department is not obliged to take up uh, a prosecution simply because it's referred by the legislative branch, and of course the legislative branch can't prosecute. Uh, so that's why this is playing out the way it is procedurally. Uh, but he has the New York Attorney General, he has the New York City District Attorney, uh, he has the Attorney General of the state of Florida, he has the Fulton County Prosecutor, uh, and of course now he has the uh, Special Counsel uh, with a uh, to look first at whatever uh, illegalities may have taken place with regard to document removal at the end of the presidency, but also uh, a writ to be able to look at exactly the kinds of materials that the January 6th committee did. Uh, so the former president is in a heap of legal trouble. Um, and whether or not Merrick Garland decides to prosecute on these charges, uh, there are others in place who uh, are, are not only inclined to do so, but are also already doing it. And, you know, when you look at everything in play, legal trouble, which is key verbiage here, in my estimation, because legal trouble could uh, entail Donald Trump to not be on that ballot in the next couple of years, which I think is the M.O. of all as far as part of this administration and beyond. Absolutely. And Liz Cheney made the case uh, very clearly yesterday. She said that no sitting president uh, who has been involved in an, in an effort to overturn a legitimate election uh, should be allowed to hold any office in the United States again, a point on which I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, and she also made the case that this has happened once and only once in our history, and if we keep Donald Trump out of office, it is more likely to be limited to that one single terrifying occasion uh, that, it, that occurred in, on January 6th of last, uh, last year. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But it's, it, it is increasingly implausible, not only because of the legal jeopardy, but because of the uh, plummeting electoral prospects of Donald Trump beyond whatever legal entanglements he's involved in. Uh, he's lost his momentum in the Republican Party. It's not to the point yet that I think anybody can st- stand up and declare themselves uh Trump's major opponent in the play in the primary, and Ron DeSantis and others are playing a smart game. They're waiting. Uh, they're, waiting. they're waiting for the vultures not only to circle but to land. Listen, if you're DeSantis, uh, you have no reason not to but wait. I mean, why not? You just came off a 20 point win uh, in a tremendous, uh, you know, uh, rerun for yourself. 
Uh, you are sitting on the sidelines. The recent poll, if you're a poll believer, the most recent one has you 23 points ahead of Trump. You're annihilating him on every front. Why not? You're sitting, uh, you're basically uh, sitting in Tallahassee and, you know, feet up on the desk. You're loved by the state, doing everything right. Everybody wants you to run in 24. And, you know, you, <laughs> I mean, you're just kind of waiting in the wings and watching Trump fall. And listen, the luster. As is not there anymore for Trump. He's not. It's not uh, down that escalator ride anymore from seven years ago. You know, it's about having dinner with Kanye. It's about announcing maybe a little too early. It's about the raid and everything else. It's about the documents. I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on, even to the point of having uh, uh, superhero-type cards depicting yourself. Uh, and everything else, which made you look like a fool. Uh, so, in essence, it's not the same Donald J. Trump as we once saw here. Couldn't agree more, Jay. Uh, that, that's absolutely right. Uh, and DeSantis, after a very, very strong fall for him, is playing this masterfully. If he were less patient, uh, he'd dive in, and then that would animate the still loyal Trump base. And they're still out there. I mean, this is still close to a third of the Republican Party, if not a little bit north of that. Um, it's never going to be a majority again, uh, in, in, in my view. We'll see how that holds up test of time. I was wrong in 2016 as well. Uh, but the... Uh, uh, it, what DeSantis is doing is letting Trump sink of his own weight and giving himself the opportunity to be the biggest giant striding into the void. Uh, and it, it probably, this, this sort of slow churn of legal and political disaster for the former president is exactly where DeSantis wants to be, because until that happens, the field is frozen. And DeSantis, as the uh, by far and away the best recognized name among the challengers, uh, and the most popular among the challengers, because otherwise we're talking Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, people without a significant national base, uh, and uh, they will have much, much less running time to be able to make a case for themselves in the GOP primary for the 24 election. DeSantis wants it. He has it. There's no question in my mind. But he doesn't have to do anything. He's waiting on the sidelines. He knows the deal. He knows the party wants him. He knows he will get the nomination if he throws his hat into that ring. So we'll see. David Birdsell with us. That takes us to Title 42. Really no choice here uh, in my mind as far as the Chief Justice, David, John Roberts, putting this temporary hold on the termination of the controversial Trump-era immigration policy known as Title 42, set to end tomorrow, but... You know, when you have 19 states going at you, I mean, what are you supposed to do, right? I mean, you have to kind of halt it and see where we're at here. But that's what it is. As, uh, you know, you got all this uh, in play and, uh, you know, the move kind of means the policy which allows officials to expel migrants at the U.S. border will stay in effect at least until the justices decide the emergency application uh, in play. This is a very serious deal with all that's going on here, but Roberts with no other play in hand here than to do what he did. I, I think that's right, and it's a uh, fairly standard move on the court when you have a significant policy urgency in addition to the legal questions involved uh, to stay the decision for uh, really deliberate consideration uh, while not only the legal issues but the policy impacts immediately are 
are assessed, and we should see that going. I have to observe here, though, that we had two weeks ago, uh, moving through the Senate on a bipartisan basis, uh, a deal uh, to uh, both give uh, a pathway to citizenship to the two million or so dreamers who are now, uh, and to radically expand uh, the court system, the hearing officers who could listen to asylum cases, and providing the same officers with the ability to uh, order immediate deportation for cases that they found wanting. This is the biggest bottleneck right now, is the ability to hear cases with a very badly depleted uh, legal system, uh, unable to cope with the flood of uh, cases coming across the border. Uh, that is on offer. Leader McConnell has, or Minority Leader McConnell, that is, has said that he will not bring it forward. Um, and that is a solution waiting to happen. And we have to get past the politics of let's see how badly we can mess this up um, in order to score political points down the road. With all that being said, and you have the president about 10 days ago going to the state of Arizona, not even really visiting the border itself when he was posed that question. Uh, you look at how the federal government uh, put up a suit against the state of Arizona and how they kind of went about their business of those shipping containers to block those uh, wanting to get in. You look at everything involved here. Uh, it is still amazing to me. And the number one issue as we get into the next couple of years of this crisis, when you look at the fentanyl and everything else, David, uh, you look at uh, the number of people that are coming in on a daily basis, the suicides uh, that are being uh, in play here from these agents who are just overwhelmed trying to do their job, people crossing who are dying, the cartels, the human trafficking, the gotaways, the terroristic individuals that have been nabbed, some not, uh, not being vetted. I mean, this is unbelievable how this administration uh, is still on deaf ears and blood on their hands beyond belief, in my in my opinion. I, I, I would spread the, the blood more broadly, Jay. Uh, and I would lay it right at the door of uh, five presidents in succession and uh, 20 congresses, or 15 in that period of time, uh, that have failed to develop comprehensive immigration reform. This is such an, a blazingly obvious necessity in this country, and this let me point to two things that are, are, are critical, and one of them is going to get worse. The first is the human tragedies that drive people to migrate. Nobody wants to migrate, uh, except for a very few uh, folks who are joining families or they want economic opportunity, uh, but they're forced to because of personal risk or the absolute inability to carve out a living wherever they're coming from. And that problem is getting worse with climate change, with what is almost certainly a coming global recession. Uh, we're going to see more of that pressure, not less. And we don't have any response to this administration, nor, again, four administrations previously. The second major issue uh, in this case is that the United States uh, work, worker, workforce population is aging. Uh, and one of the major sources of inflation in this country right now is the inability of many manufacturers, uh, of many agricultural producers and others to find enough labor to actually produce goods at volume and at cost uh, that can keep the herd on American pocketbooks low. Uh, and a big reason for that, and you can talk to anybody in farm country and they will tell you this, 
uh, is that it is very, very difficult to find labor with many of the spigots for legal migration uh, closed off uh, so grievously at this stage. So there's a lot that we have to do, not only to address uh, a humanitarian crisis that will build, uh, but also to make sure that we have the workforce in place in this country, which we do not right now, uh, to continue to sustain our ne- economic growth over a period when the native birth population is declining. You look at, you know, some of these cities and reading what, you know, Mayor Adams is kind of crying out here, some 31,000-plus uh, migrants uh, having uh, gotten into the city uh, since the start of it all. I mean, it is unbelievable. You know, you look at, I mean, from a fiscal standpoint, I, I don't see how New York City can sustain when you think about it. I mean, you're looking at uh, arrivals here that will reach about a billion dollars a year if this continues uh, through 2026. I mean, uh, that's unfathomable. You know, you're talking about a city with a $10 billion deficit to begin with. You're talking about a shelter system. Uh, that is at full capacity and beyond right now. And you wonder uh, if the cries of help are going to be answered. I mean, not only New York City, there's other. you got Chicago, Philadelphia inundated here. You know, when does it end? I mean, I, it's hard to believe that no, one's, no one is really recognizing this in this administration. So th- 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 this, this is entirely correct. And if you look at uh, New York City's homelessness situation, this was a crisis well before the current uh, migration problem uh, fed that fire. Uh, so to add those tens of thousands of cases to the uh, to the workload and to the urgent need for uh, for affordable housing is hard to see. It's hard to see how that works out uh, in uh, in the short and medium terms. Um, and you're absolutely right about the ten billion dollar de- deficit, which may get larger. Uh, because New York City has always earned a disproportionate amount of its revenue from uh, commercial real estate. Um, and that commercial real estate uh, is right now going vacant far more frequently than used to be the case. And that has ripple effects all through the rest of the economy, uh, with people not coming downtown for uh, office work, meaning they're not buying lunch, meaning they're not buying gifts to take back home, uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, and it is a real crisis for the city uh, which is going to need help to get over this period at the very least, if not long-term structural reform uh, in its tax base and, of course, its policies toward uh, unhoused people in every one of the five boroughs. David Birdsell with us a couple of minutes, uh, the fine Provost King University. You know, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here and go to Jerry Powell for a second, um, where the interest rates we know have been arising, uh, the Fed chair... Uh, has had a couple of meetings. We know raise the rate at percentage basis point. Uh, more coming, David. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, when is enough enough? Are they inviting some real trouble at this point in time? Now, I'm talking various equity, housing, credit markets in general. You know, I go back to that whole Lehman deal from, what, 14 years ago, whenever that was? I think it was like 08. You would think... You know, a crisis of that magnitude way back would offer some sort of a template 
for Powell as he looks ahead to these rates. It's kind of, Now, listen, I'm not a financial guru by any sense, but I do have a little bit of common sense to know a little bit of history and to, say, and to see where this thing may be going here. I think he's walking a very dangerous line right now. Well, there are a number of people who agree with you, and it really depends on who you talk to at this point. You have inflation hawks who are sounding the alarm, and they were right, by the way, like Larry Summers, former Treasury Secretary, former President of Harvard, uh, and uh, an economist who said, you know, inflation's coming. It's not just supply chain bottlenecks. You've got to change behavior and raise rates. Um, and, And he proved to be right. The question is when you stop doing that. Um, and right now, Summers says, nope, uh, Powell's right where he wants to be, stay the course. You have other economists saying, uh, and, and many business leaders um, saying that it, it's, we're, we're already seeing reductions in core inflation. Uh, we are moving in the direction we want to be, and we should not be promising additional interest rate hikes uh, throughout the coming year, at least at the length of time that has been uh, suggested by, by the Fed at this stage. Um, and, and we don't know. Uh, we don't know. And we have to look at other factors beyond interest rates that are likely to be depressive uh, of the economy. The continuing war in Ukraine, uh, the continuing resulting uh, bottlenecks in uh, oil supply, uh, the desperate situation in Europe, the fact that not only does that oil supply uh, uh impoverish households uh, paying the energy rates or leaving them without heat, um, and, and in some cases in Ukraine, of course, without water. But in Germany, what it's threatening to do is to shutter factories. So you have that depressive effect on the economy as well. Add in all the dislocations of warming and the movement out of low-lying areas where you have to recreate uh, a manufacturing or a larger industrial base, um, and you have a perfect storm that is very frightening. And what kind of an economy do you want going into it? Do you want to leave the additional drags of high interest rates? Or do you want to try to make it as nimble and flexible as possible? It's a very, very hard call. Let's just say I'm really glad I'm not Jerome Powell right now. So some tough times ahead. Uh, you bring up uh, you bring up Russia, Ukraine. You know, we're going on 10 months now. 10 months. Uh, I think, what was it, February 24th, I think was uh, day yeah. one. It's 10 months coming up in the next few. Uh, where, where, does, where do we go here? You know, more aid, more assistance from the U.S. Uh, to U- Ukraine, a lot of sophistication involved with the weaponry being involved. It's certainly recognized by Putin. Uh, no end in sight. Putin is still trying to take out the grids, all the electric, the heat, the water. Uh, no end in sight here. And you wonder, where does this thing go as we get into the new year? Uh, Putin, uh, did he make the point already? Ukraine is, is as resilient as could be, we know. They're still being aided. It's, it's almost as if, you know, where do we, where do we end this? It, it, could it ever end? Could it go on for years? You know, this go on forever. When you think about it, I mean, as long as Ukraine is getting the arsenal, uh, Putin's not going to let up. He's not going to wave the flag. He's not going to say, you know what, uh, we made our point. Where, where does it go? And I still say it is all about administrative point of views. It's about how this White House handles things from a negotiation standpoint, which has been very poor uh, as far as trying to reach out to Putin. Very poor trying to get something done, especially with some of the other NATO lands. But in essence, where do you see this thing going as we are about to turn the page? 
It's it's, it's hard to project. Uh, Vladimir Putin needs to win this war uh, because his political legitimacy depends on it. Um, it's also the case that his political philosophy, to the extent that he has one, depends on winning this war and proving the legitimacy of, in his mind, a greater Russian empire that is the legitimate ruler of uh Central Asia and Eastern Europe. And he has said so in print very clearly and orally many times. And this is one of the things that gives anybody who wants to negotiate pause, uh, because he has said as recently as last week that Russia is the rightful ruler of a fake country, Ukraine. And if that's the position that the man you're trying to negotiate a long-term peace with is taking, it's not very credible that he actually wants or could produce in any scenario a long-term peace he wants an empire and he wants ukraine to be part of it and he said so so what i i think the biden administration actually deserves a great deal of credit for how well they've kept what everybody expected to be a very fragile uh european alliance together in the face of considerable suffering uh economic and otherwise uh to oppose uh the uh the russian bear in this case in ukraine um and but but it's a real question as we uh, move into the cold months, and it's now very cold in Ukraine and in uh, areas north of Ukraine and Eastern Europe. Uh, as, as as fuel prices soar, as it becomes hard to keep households together, look at the impacts in Britain right now with strikes all across the country. Uh, this can't continue forever. The question is who collapses first. And I think that's really the main issue. Um, and if the West can stay together and keep Ukraine going, Russia can't do this interminably unless and until they're able routinely to resupply their uh, uh, stocks of semiconductors to build advanced weaponry, until they can acquire from Iran or elsewhere a sufficient number of high-quality drones and other munitions to be able to sustain their attacks on the civilian electrical infrastructure. A war crime, by the way, it needs to be observed. Uh, but they're doing it, and they're proud of it, and they've said they're going to continue doing it as long as they can. Uh, but every analysis that you've seen suggests that Russia is burning through its stocks and is now using weaponry that is over 60 years old. Um, and at one level, it's always nice to clean out the closet, but it's nice to have something put back in there that looks shiny and new. And they don't have it at this stage. Uh, that creates its own kind of risks. Do they wind up going tactical nuclear as a result? Uh, could happen. Uh, but it could also happen that the economy in Russia uh, could collapse. It's proven remarkably resilient so far, uh, but not to the extent that they have restored the productive capacity that they were able to predicate on imports prior to the commencement of hostilities last February. Dynamic as we turn into 2023. Fascinating always is David Birdsell, Provost Kane University. Always a pleasure, my friend. Wonderful holiday coming upon you. And if we don't talk before year's end, I'm sure we will in 23. How's that? That looks good. Thanks for having me, Jay. Happy New Year to you. Always a pleasure.